0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today we are welcoming Dr. Courtney Tracy to the show. You may know her as the Truth Doctor all over social media. She is a licensed clinical social worker and holds a doctorate in clinical psychology. And she has amassed an online community of over 1.7 million followers. She uses her platforms to teach about how the mind and body work through psychoeducation and destigmatizing mental health. If all of that isn't impressive enough, she was also nominated in the wellness category for the Influencer Awards, which will happen live in person in November. Make sure to vote for her. If you enjoy this episode, you'll find the link to vote in the show notes. Dr. Courtney joins us today to talk about the myths and unspoken pressures that moms face, particularly when you are a working mom or are the breadwinner and your partner stays at home. We talk about ways to navigate sharing the load, communication, and also how to manage the guilt of possibly not being at every event or being able to respond to every call when you are the working parent and your partner is at home. In this episode, we get to hear a lot about Dr. Courtney's story and how her and her husband have found their stride. I encourage you to tie up those shoes or pop babe in the stroller, put this on on your car ride to work. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Courtney. Before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Catherine Mummy of Two, and it's entitled, My Go-To for Connection. In a world where it sometimes feels like we're doing this motherhood thing alone, I love listening to this podcast knowing other moms are struggling with the same things. It provides some sense of connection, and I'm so thankful for it. I definitely look forward to each new episode. Thank you so much for leaving this review. I love hearing about how these conversations and the guests impact you or make you feel seen and less alone. That is the very reason I show up each week with you doing what I do. So if you have taken something away from the show before or found it has touched you in some way, I would love for you to head to iTunes, leave a review, share something in your stories, tag me, share with a friend, whatever you can do to get the word out because that is life for creators like me. Thank you so much for leaving this review. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You and I have been back and forth trying to coordinate this between momming and work and surgeries and our own appointments and things we've had going on. It's been work to get us here, but I'm so happy to be sitting down with you today.
1: I am so happy to be here too. Yes, there was a lot of back and forth, but it's because we wanted to chat and now here we are. I'm so happy to be on.
0: Yeah. So... First of all, absolute congratulations on your nomination for the Influencer Awards. I've been voting for you. That's such an exciting accomplishment. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's quite a big deal. So I would love to, if we can start with a little personal tidbit, you have a PhD in clinical psychology and had your own therapy practice, and then you found your way into sort of the TikTok and digital media world. How in the world did that leap come about?
1: great question. And if I could have planned it out like this, I, you know, I don't think I would have been able to plan it out like this. So yes, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have a doctorate in clinical psychology, a PsyD instead of a PhD. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I started working in addiction at 23, worked in treatment for three and a half years, then opened up my own treatment center for four years. And I had a major family tragedy happen about two years into owning my business, which threw me really for a loop. I was a new mom with a three-month-old newborn. Mm. I was writing my dissertation. I was running my business. And then we had a tragedy with my husband, and it was a legal tragedy. And we were running the business together, and I had to fire him based off of our code of ethics It was just tough. Mm. Everything was fine with us, but it was tough. And so I went into this spiral of major anxiety and PTSD and I started over drinking and I was having nightmares and it was so bad. And we were living in Santa Barbara at the time where our treatment center was. And I decided I need to move home. Like I am having so much anxiety, so much trauma. I can't be in the city anymore. So I moved home in September, 2019. And I realized that the stigma that came along with mental health, like being a mental health provider and having something happen to my husband so public based off of trauma responses and a lack of sleep, it led me to realizing that I wonder how many other mental health providers there are out there or medical providers out there that feel like they are ashamed for having mental health issues and ashamed Mm. for having their own struggles. And being a mom too, I was like, it was grief of like, this is not what I expected the first year of my baby's life to be. So when I moved back home, I recognized that I was starting to fall down the same pattern of like, just hide, hide away. Don't tell the truth about how you're feeling. Ignore it. Like nobody wants to hear about it. Like you're a professional stop. Mm. And I realized That is not helpful. It's not helpful for me and it's not helpful for anyone. And so I talked to my cousin who was a social media manager at the time. And I said, I think I'm going to start an Instagram. I think I'm going to call myself the truth doctor. And I'm going to just tell the truth about everything that I've been through and everything I go through on the journey and normalize mental health as a mental health professional by talking about her own. And she said, that's Mm -hmm. a great idea. But have you heard of TikTok? And I said, no, isn't that like a lip syncing app? Like I'm not downloading that. And she said, well, I downloaded it and I don't see any therapists on there doing what you would probably do on there. She tried to convince me for like three months in January of 2020, I was like, okay, I'll try it. It had been a year since everything happened with my family. And I said, okay, I'll try to put myself out there in this way now. Downloaded the app, like most people's responses, super funny, super funny didn't think that it'd be as addicting as it was, but I realized I found my people there. Mm. I found people infused in culture and being authentic and being vulnerable and sharing their truth, which is so different than other social media platforms in the past. So I was like, this is it. And I pushed forward and here we are.
0: It's true that there is something very raw and real about TikTok, right? There is this like, you know, It has to be Instagrammable. Like you you have to be done up in a particular way or show up in a space in a particular way. And then TikTok, like my favorite mom accounts that I follow or therapists or doctors or whoever show up like in their sweats, manning their children, like mining their (laughs) kids at home, you know, and they're just talking about the experience or responding to a comment. And it feels, I want to say less judgmental until you get into some of the comments on some of the videos, but Yeah, it can show up in a more real way.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's so important for providers and for mothers and for human beings overall. It's just like, can we just be real? Because it's when we're not that things start to feel fake, and when we feel fake, then it feels not real. And that sounds really like yes, of course. But if you think about the feeling of feeling fake, like oh, I have to put on this front to be a happy, healthy mom and a happy, healthy boss and a happy, healthy therapist and it just gives people permission to not hide their struggles. And that's how we move forward and get healthier.
0: You're talking about the messages that we get sent as mental health professionals to appear as a blank slate. I'm going to put it in like air quotes, right? Or to show up as having all of our crap together. And there's no room for our own humanity when working with clients. Yeah. And there are these messages. And then I feel like that also carries into how we show up in our own motherhood experience because motherhood is tethered to our mental health. There's no breaking away from that, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we feel like we have to distance ourselves from our own mental health journey to be a professional, but motherhood, and as soon as we enter into it, stirs up all of this sort of like sediment that has settled at the bottom of the fishbowl or ocean or whatever. I don't know. It puts us at odds with ourselves. It brings up a lot. It stirs up a lot of emotion.
1: It does. Yeah. And motherhood is so emotional. It's so emotional. And when we feel like we have to push our emotions down, like what does that say? Like that's just so unhelpful for ourselves. And so I'm encouraged by a society that welcomes mental health discussions in all forms, in all sectors of our existence. And
0: mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we're on our way, especially with platforms like yours and others that are making it so accessible for people to have these conversations, these open conversations. Today, we're going to unpack some of the unspoken messages of motherhood or some of the myths and things that we encounter as professional women or otherwise. We come up against so many of these barriers that we have to fight through. Like I hear a lot that we have to Climb the ladder, and we feel like we can hold on to our goals as women, and then we enter into motherhood. And a lot of the messaging is like, well, now you have to sacrifice all of those things you dreamed for in order to be a good mom, quote unquote. Right. So, how was that transition for you? Did you feel like you encountered some of those myths or pressures? Well, I definitely pressure myself a lot, or I had pressured
1: myself a lot in the past, but that is likely rooted in just, yeah, like the unspoken pressures of society and just our perspectives on mothers as a whole. Like I mentioned earlier, well, one thing to mention is I did IVF. So to have my firstborn, and hmm. I started IVF a month before I started my business. So for the first year of my business, I was doing IVF. Then the second year of my business, I was pregnant. And then the third year of my business, I had a newborn. So, and I was running it primarily by myself. And so it was this strange pressure of like, knowing I had severe anxiety, but knowing that I was running a business and that I wanted to be as mentally healthy as I could be through IVF, through pregnancy and through, you know, at least the first year of my son's life. He's now almost three. And it was really hard because even as a mental health professional, when you pile that much stuff into your life, along with the dissertation and my grandfather who raised me ended up passing away three weeks into my new business. So it was Mm. all this stuff at the same time. And I was really overwhelmed. And, you know, the biggest thing that happened for me was when my son was born, you know, we have these ideas of like what your motherhood experience is gonna be like. And, you know, I didn't have a birth plan because I just didn't, but I wanted to have a natural birth, at least not have a C-section. I had to do an emergency C-section early. Then I, you know, wasn't healing well. I was sitting on my couch for like six Mm. to eight weeks. I couldn't move from like the healing. It was going so poorly. I lost 25% of my blood when I was in the hospital. It was just like, not what I expected it to be right away on day one. And then when the experience happened with my husband three months into us having a child, we got evicted out of the home that we moved into to raise our new baby. in, And so it was a change of environment. It was a change of employment. It was a change of mental health. And now we had a baby and
0: Mm -hmm. you anticipate
1: who you're going to be as a mother. And then you realize that you are a mother in the stream of your life as it is. And sometimes it doesn't go the way that you want it to. And So that was my first, like, I had to accept that this was motherhood for me. This is how it was starting. And it was finding that balance between, like, managing my mental health and managing a baby. And it was just, it was tough.
0: (laughs) What you're describing about IVF, that is often our first, I guess, one of the first. Like, we daydream about becoming a mom. And some of the first things that we encounter along the road that challenge that expectation or perception of what it's going to be can start really early on for some, can start in the trying to conceive process. Yeah. Oh, it's not happening just sort of naturally as I hoped it would. This isn't what I imagined it would be. And from the get-go, we're kind of getting a taste of our expectations and reality not lining up. And then if we have a bit of like a a hope or a plan around birth, and then we end up delivering via C-section instead of vaginally or whatever might happen again, that can be a slight introduction. And then a really big one for a lot of moms then is like their feeding journey from there. Mm -hmm. So there's all these sort of steps along the road and some that gap in that reality and expectation hits us earlier on and some it is delayed a little bit, but inevitably it hits us, right? Like we get into this motherhood role and we look around and we think, oh my gosh, this is not <laughs> what I bargained for, right? This is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, completely. And
1: I'd love that you just went through all of those stages and, you know, something that I know that we talked about talking about <laughs> on, this, <laughs> on this episode was just like the general role of a mother, you know, like, of course we have, well, and then this is not an, and of course, because there are alternative ways, but it's like we get pregnant somehow and then we give birth somehow and then we feed somehow and then you're a mom. Yeah. And then you're a mom ongoing and and what does that mean? How are you supposed to show up? What role are you supposed to play in your child's life? And through everything that that I went through in the beginning and now being the truth doctor, I'm trying to find this balance of being a mom and growing in fame in this really strange way that was totally unexpected and dealing with my emotions attached to perhaps what people think I should be doing as a mom or what role I should Mm. be playing. And, you know, having my husband be a stay-at-home dad is like, some people have lots of opinions about that. And (laughs) so it's just been interesting. It's been this very alternative and unexpected journey into motherhood it has certainly felt like a journey, like a roller coaster up and down. And and yeah, hopefully it's just helpful for someone to hear that they're not alone
0: in that. Yeah. When we examine the perfect mother myth, this idea, this really vague, good mother, or perfect mother that we're all trying to be, she has a bit of a form, Mm -hmm. right? And it is that she, you know, sacrifices everything for her kids, puts her kids first, is always nurturing, invests all of her time and energy and resources into her child. Mm-hmm. This whole intensive mothering idea is that, like, the mother is the best equipped and best well-suited to raise her children. Right and then we talk about wanting to be in this modern motherhood where we can be empowered to live out our dreams i don't know calling if if that if you will and then we have to wrestle with well i have to relinquish some of that control or relinquish some of that responsibility to say you know actually I have a, an example of this. I was going to speak at a live event. There was like 1,500 people in attendance. It was in COVID. It was virtual. And I had been booked for months for this. And I got a call from the school that they thought my son had broke his arm. I was about to go out on stage, like five minutes mm-hmm. from going out on stage. And I'm like, Dad, you're going to have to take this one. Like, I can't bail on a live event. I will meet you thereafter. Yeah. But you can nurture and you can soothe and you can be there and you're capable And the guilt because I'm supposed to be the one. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Yeah, completely. And thank you for sharing that.
1: I feel like I have that experience every day of my life. (laughs) It's a lot. Just the other day, I was telling my husband, I don't know if we can have more kids right now. And that was hard to say. And I'm like, because I want to be the best mom for our one son now. I don't want to be spread so thin that I'm like not the best mother to both of them. And he said, well, why don't you just do what Kim Kardashian does? Doesn't she just have other people raise her kids and she could still have a bunch of them. And my (laughs) first response was, oh my God, that sounds so horrible. Like, why would you ever like say that I could just, you know, essentially pop out the kids and someone else can raise them. And then I was thinking like, I don't know what's really going on over there in that household. Maybe she is a great mother when she's with them and maybe this is the best option for them. I really don't know, we really don't know. And so I caught myself being like, am I judging something that I may be doing in the future just because of like the perceptions that I've seen people talk about it online or on TV or like we are each an individual human and we each show up differently for our individual humans that are our children in our own world and and so while I do think that we are taking a break for a moment what's interesting is that for in my family since my husband has been the primary caregiver the typical male female roles, you would assume like, Oh, maybe like our son isn't getting like the type of love that he needs or whatever, which is so stereotypical, Mm -hmm. but it's actually the opposite. My husband is the one that is very loving and very kind and very, and not that I'm Mm -hmm. not those things, but he's just, he's a nurturer. And then like, you know, we're three years into this experience and I'll go downstairs. I'm like, Oh, he doesn't even know how to pull down his own underwear yet to like use his potty. And he's like, well, I was just trying, I was just focusing on making him feel safe to come to me. And I'm like, yeah, totally. And so it's like what I'm doing when I am interacting with our children is I'm providing that structure and like paying attention to like the development stages and like things like that. But he gets all the love and he gets all the comfort and he gets all the protection. And so what people may think about our dynamic that I'm the breadwinner and I'm working all the time, constantly, and he's the one at home, is this is the best solution. And the you know, my my son is so happy and so healthy and has no concerns about either of his parents not being there enough. And so I think it's just taking a moment to realize for each mother that's listening to this episode is just you are your own human being, your children are their own human beings, and and you know what's best. And so try to not absorb the judgments of what other people may think, because nobody really knows what's best for your family. You do. And if you feel good about it, and your children are healthy in, in, in the way that you want them to be, then, then keep going.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that reevaluating this myth that we are the be all and end all. Like, we are the main and only and best caregiver for our children. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that feels like a pretty, like, esteemed position to hold if we're, if we feel that, you know? <laughs> it feels good to think, like, oh, I'm the only one that can soothe them and calm them and know them. And there is this, like, kind of edge it feels like it can give. But at the same time, that can become our cage. Maybe that's a bit dramatic, but like it can become the thing that traps us so intensely in motherhood that we don't get to live out other parts of our identity. Mm-hmm. Because if we cannot share the parenting experience with our partner or with trusted and good childcare providers and grandparents or whoever our support systems are, then we can't embody the other parts of our identity that we long for, that we feel we have to give up when we step into this role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that recently because my son is starting preschool in like four days Mm -hmm. and I'm realizing that he will probably be spending more time in school and with his dad than with me combined So I think it's important to acknowledge like, yes, we don't want to box ourselves in and we don't want to hold back parts of our identity and our general life experience because this is our life too. So like that's, you know, the strength perspective, like keep doing what you're doing. And then it's also Mm -hmm. recognizing that there will be those moments where you feel complete guilt and you question, is this a good idea? Should I just quit everything? And I have those moments where I'm like, all I want to do is switch the roles so I can stay home and be with mm-hmm. my son all the time. And then I realized like, that's not necessarily what needs to be done. But what those thoughts are telling me is that I am feeling like I'm missing my son and I'm feeling like I want more connection with him and to allow us to feel those feelings. Even if the feeling is guilt, which is not a good feeling, it's telling us something mm-hmm. and It's paying attention to what that is. And so when I have those thoughts, I just clear my schedule For the next one to three days, as an example, I've done that in the past and just, I'm going to spend time with my son. Mm -hmm. It's a value-based emotion. It's not a nice one to feel guilty for the things that you are doing that are helping your family, but it is a value-based emotion that can lead you to recognizing that it just means you want some more time. And so it's not always easy, but it's important to listen to what those underlying messages are.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about how you guys found your stride? Because I'm sure that in new motherhood, like, was it always the plan that he was going to be home and you were going to be the breadwinner and the one that worked outside of the home? Or did you guys kind of stumble your way into that dynamic?
1: Yeah, we basically came crashing into it.
0: Yeah. and.
1: You know, our ideal was we were running this business together up in Santa Barbara and we were going to eventually be able to hire employees so that I didn't have to be the CEO anymore and he was helping out more operationally and so it would have been easy to fill those roles. And then, you know, what happened was my husband was publicly arrested, like all over the news. And Mm. so it became where I needed to fire him. And so it became where I had to work more instead of less after we had our child. Mm. But I was okay with that because of the type of human being that my husband is. Like he's so nurturing and so loving. So there was no concern like, oh, is the baby going to be getting everything that he needs? Mm -hmm. But then... I was dealing with so much of the grief over what this beginning of motherhood was like while also working so much mm. to maintain the outward perspective of our treatment center and manage all of our clients and all of our employees. And, and so I fell down a really deep spiral of drinking, trauma responses, and anxiety So he had to step up even more than he anticipated while he was also dealing with PTSD and being seen in the way that he was being seen, which was so inaccurate for who he truly is. But he had to sacrifice raising our child through that Mm. because I had to sacrifice maintaining our business for income so that we could survive. So we both were in this stage of like serious mental health concerns while trying to manage like this new baby, and then uh, our baby that was a business, and that was Mm -hmm. a mental health business that was helping to save people's lives was really important. And so when we moved back to Orange County, we had these plans of how things were going to balance out, and we were going to have more of like a 50 50 role. But then within three weeks of moving home, I started the truth doctor. And we had no idea that it was gonna spiral into what it did. But so essentially we came crashing into this difference of who is taking care of our child, tried to find a stabilization period of making it equal and then realizing that we were best serving one another in the roles that we were already in. He was best taking care of our child. I was best bringing in the money. And then we were together as a family. And so there's been moments still where it hurts because it wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't, this is how we're going to raise our child. It was, Mm -hmm. it was an after the fact decision, but that decision is, it feels like right now it feels like permanently rooted in trauma and anxiety because that was the basis of the decision. So whenever we look at our life, we're reminded of why our life is the way that it is and how it got here. And it's this major tragedy that happened. And so I think over time, like now that we sold our business four months ago, that whole trauma bag of owning a business and then having to fire him and then moving. and And then it's just, it feels like we left all of that now and we're finally starting to come out of the first three years of our son's life, he'll he'll be three at the end of October. And we're just now mm-hmm. finding a balance where I can really create my own schedule. I can decide when do I wanna put my son to sleep? When do I wanna spend lunch with my son? When do I wanna take my son shopping? And versus, here are all the things that I need you to do this week for our son, cause I'm too busy, so please do them. It feels more equal now. But we definitely came crashing into it and we've been slowly Mm -hmm. climbing ourselves Mm -hmm. out of it, but maintaining the the general structure because it works for us.
0: An interesting point is the time period at which all of this happened, right? Like you're already, if you're an anxiously wound person or not, but then going into the postpartum period where we're at such high risk of depression or anxiety or flare-ups of all kinds of things. So we're already like in a crash course, right, of becoming a mom and you've got all these other things happening. And when we go through something being tethered to our partner, they go through it with us and vice versa. So it sounds like the needs, like your mental health needs at the time pulled out sort of skills and things from him to step up and, and vice versa, I'm sure that happens in other stages.
1: Yeah. Like I feel so much gratitude towards my husband because I don't think that he anticipated that this would be the role that we were in either and his ability to really step up in that way it's like so he you know he's dealing with that and I'm also dealing with the emotions of like not being that mom and there's still that pull for equality mhm but I think Yeah, it's like, as long as like you're recognizing what your partner is doing for you. I tell him all the time, I want you to know that I'm aware and appreciative of everything that you're doing. And I'm gonna continue on my end to restructure and find ways for us to come together more as a family. And open communication and acceptance of where we're really at versus only focusing on where we wanna be is giving us permission to be present and work together as a team.
0: Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factor's Delicious ready to eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. What are some tips for or like ways that you guys have found that help you either communicate or find that stride? Like, are there things that have worked well or not so well? Well, I am a very high-strung person.
1: (laughs) And so it's been a little hard, actually, because, like, you know, the example that I gave of, oh, like, he can't pull down his underwear yet. Like, you know, daddy's still pulling it down every single time, which we know eventually we want to try to get them to practice doing it themselves. And so there's moments where I'm like, I get frustrated and I, you know, release that frustration towards him, but then I'll come back around and be like, that was frustration that should have been directed towards our general experience and structure. And we should have talked about it, but I directed that towards you instead. Mm. And like, I think admitting that is really powerful because we can often find ourselves like taking the emotions that we feel in our overall life situation and placing that onto our partner because they're the closest person to us. So it's we've been really working on finding this balance of communication and my high strungness, my anxiety, my stress, I'm still working on my trauma responses can impede on that communication. So what we do sometimes is because I'm not the best communicator when I'm emotional or anxious is we sit down and we talk about how our relationship is going and how parenting is going. Either every week or every two weeks and we develop our plan. What is the development stage that our son is in right now? What goals do we have for him for the month? And what are some ways that we can both participate in getting those goals done? And so those are like things that we are hopeful that happen. And then we set goals of like these are the new rules that need to be implemented. Like we're not going to hold his fork for him anymore because he is almost three. Mm. It's setting like these different buckets of like, these are non-negotiables because we've agreed on them. This is what we're hoping to see in the next month in his development. Mm -hmm. And then also how are we doing in general in terms of our communication in front of him, between ourselves and how is our marriage going overall? We never used to have that communication because, well, we weren't parents before and we were in our early 20s and just kind of enjoying each other in life. And then running the business was interesting to find some communication. But then all the trauma and the anxiety, it kind of like it blew it up because we were not ourselves and we were so stressed. So I think really communication is one of like the main, Mm. that's my main suggestion because there's so much going on in our heads and in the heads of our partners. And if we aren't openly communicating about what's going on in there, but our minds are controlling how we're feeling and what we're doing, then, then we're likely not going to be on the same page.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were talking about being anxious and having like trauma response, and how when we are coming from a place of reactiveness, we're not going to communicate as effectively. Can you unpack that trauma response a little bit for us and what that looks like? I know trauma is something that you speak about a lot, like on your platforms and things too. Like what does reacting out of a trauma response look like, for example?
1: Yeah. So thank you for asking that. One of my main traumas from when I was younger was I grew up in a household, multi-generational, and my uncle lived in the house with us and he um, is mentally disabled. And so he would not, he didn't know how to use the bathroom. So he would just use it in the room itself. And so, but the bathroom would be off limits a lot of the time. And when I was growing up, I had to literally put on pull-ups to use the bathroom regularly for a lot of my childhood mm. till I was like seven. So excretion, peeing, pooping is so important for my son, like for me. Mm. And so it's like when I don't think that he's advancing fast enough, Every child goes at their own pace, but part of my trauma response is when I start to feel like he may not be getting where he needs to be at his age level, I sense myself like getting super anxious and being like overly concerned. This doesn't come out as outward behavior because I know how to like maintain it. There are times Mm -hmm. (laughs) when any, you know, any human being is just like you accidentally let it out, but very, very rarely and never to my son ever. Cause that was another thing it was just too many emotions negative put on me as a child. So I, I don't do that, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's catching ourselves as parents when it's our own fear or our own past life experience. That's infusing this response or this emotion that we're having to something that's happening in our child. And, and so for me, it's just watching that. And I feel like that's a good example because it's such an important Part of raising our children is teaching them how to use the restroom. And so to have this personal experience that caused me so much distress for years after and to want to avoid that at all costs, it creates a need to go, wait a minute, is the way that I'm feeling right now and the way that my mind and body are responding a result of what's actually happening in the moment with my son or is it based off of something I don't want to have happen in his Mm. life because of something that happened in mine? And it's just really watching that because we can do that a lot as parents in so many Mm -hmm. different situations.
0: I see that in so many different situations and and come up so many different ways with clients where I want to be this type of mom because my mom was that type of mom, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't ever want to make my child feel abandoned. So I'm not going to separate from them because I felt abandoned so much growing up. We set these sort of like, I call them vows or expectations for ourselves. I will never do this or I, I don't want to be that. And I think that those so often are rooted in our trauma, right? Like I never want to be the type of parent that does this. Yeah often because of something that we've experienced or observed in our own parents that has been a major source of distress for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, completely. An interesting question for you on this same line of thinking is, how do we differentiate our values as parents from our trauma responses? Mm. Because you're talking about, well, it's important for you, almost like it's a value, you know, like it's important for you that he learns to have access to the restroom and toilet and things like that. Would you say there is like a distinction that even needs to be made? Or maybe some of our values are kind of rooted in some of our trauma? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I definitely think that some of our values are rooted in our trauma because our trauma it shakes up what we think about ourselves in the world and it changes the way that we protect ourselves moving on. Yeah, I've never been asked this question. So this is definitely like an off the cuff response, but mm-hmm. I think values don't always have to have action, but trauma responses usually do. Mm. So for me, if the value is I want my child to have access to the restroom and, and really learn how to use the restroom correctly, I can have that feeling and I can have that value the trauma response would be coming downstairs and being like, you know what, maybe I should just not do these projects because somebody needs to spend more time with them because he goes to the bathroom multiple times a day. That's like the trauma response, the action. And I would say that perhaps the value is actually what stops the trauma response. Hmm. Because is that actually going to solve the problem, like stopping everything that I'm doing, changing our entire family dynamic just to have this thing happen? No. When the value comes up and it's like, no, this is just a value that you have. This is just something that's important to you. doesn't necessarily have to result in action. It may actually result in inaction Mm. to prevent you from engaging in a trauma response versus just acknowledgement
0: that this is important hmm And a value being something that we hold like in the long term that doesn't come with the urgency I'm hearing, yeah. right? Like a value isn't just about in the moment, one-time urgency that kind of might hijack our attention or focus or whatever, right? Exactly. It's more of a kind of like ingrained or pillar, like kind of always in the background piece. Mm-hmm. Like a, for example, a value around teaching consent and bodily like autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is not resolved in one urgent moment or weekend. Like that's an ongoing thing that is a discussion that is instilled. Like it's a prolonged discussion and part of like the family dynamic.
1: Yeah. I love that. That was a great, that was a great addition for sure.
0: Yeah. This is really interesting. I'm enjoying getting to know you more and navigating all this. Did you say that your little is starting school, starting preschool? Yeah.
1: So he's starting preschool on
0: Tuesday. He's doing his like first three visit days
1: and um, I'm so nervous about it, <laughs> but I think that it will go well because, you know, I have actually stepped up a little bit more in the past couple weeks to like prep him for this. And so I've been like, showing him like videos about teachers and like trying you know reading him more books like teaching him the months of the year and we have a countdown for his first day of school and you getting him to wear underwear more versus diapers or pull-ups and so it's been interesting to see myself like have this urge to step in more because I know he's going to be out of the house more but it feels calm it feels like I'm mindful about it and I'm watching myself again to make sure that the value is that he feels safe at school and knows that his parents are not gone forever when he's at school Mm -hmm. versus like wanting to drop everything and do nothing for like the past two weeks so that he doesn't miss me and loves me. And like, you know, just like trying to find that really good balance. But Mm -hmm. it's mind blowing also, though, that he is almost three and going into preschool because I don't know how fast other motherhoods feel like for mothers since I only have my own experience and I don't work with mothers, but it has gone by so fast and it feels like maybe faster than how it should feel because when you're that busy and that anxious and have gone through all the things that I went through, it's like, how, how did he already become going to school? Like, I feel like I haven't had enough time with him and I wonder if other mothers out there feel that same way that have, I want to say role reversal, but it's like, why does it have to be a role reversal? Why can't it just, you know, why does do the why is the opposite the normal? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I wonder if other moms are like, ah, now like they're being taken care of by
0: someone else and I, I haven't even had all the time I wanted. I remember that first like drop off and experience of daycare being one of like, They have a life now outside of us, like their world exists beyond our home now. And this feels strange Mm -hmm. and like, I'm excited for them, but then it's like a mix of all of those feelings. Right. And one of the things you had talked about was this feeling of guilt. So like in the story that I shared, the guilt of not being able to go when my son you know, needed an x-ray for his arm or the fact that you're having to sort of hand maybe like a, a bit of a to-do list or your schedule over to your husband to say, you know, this is the requirements of me this week at work or whatever. Yeah. How have you found some effective tools in managing that guilt when our mothering role or experience kind of grates against what we think it should be or the pressures we face from others, how do we manage that guilt? That's a really great question.
1: And there I think two things have worked for me. One is, well I have a really good perspective on the fact that other people's opinions about me don't matter and what society expects from therapists and mothers and stuff is too rigid. So I think it's just that general understanding that I have that helps with the guilt, helps not internalize the external pressures or perspectives of people. It's not always perfect in that way, but I'm pretty good at that. And I think what I do as a mother, so that's like as a human being, just managing society's expectations, but as a mother... It feels like one thing that I know is important for children is physical and emotional connection with their caregivers. So when I am around my son, I am hugging him. I am brushing his hair. We've never cut it. It's like as long as mine. Mm. It's so long. Often I'll say like, look in mommy's eyes and we'll like make eye contact with each other. And those things help me with the guilt because I can see in his face, that we are connected, that he feels safe, that he's happy, and he's healthy. And he asks for mommy, you know, I might get a little alarmed if he never did, Mm -hmm. you know, and if he never wanted to have me be the one he plays with or anything like that. And so yeah, it's managing the internalization of external societal pressures. And it's knowing that I can go be close, and create that connection, which is something that a lot of kids don't get even when their parents are around all the time. Right? There's just for many different reasons, it doesn't have to be a malicious reason, just for a variety of different reasons, the parents are not actually connecting with the child. And so in those moments, when I could spend that whole time feeling guilty for not spending more time, Instead, I spend that whole time truly deeply connecting as best as I can and activating those parts in my son's brain and body that I know become active during love and connection and feelings of safety. And that is a great barrier and it helps
0: a lot. Mm -hmm. Like it imprints on your brain something to pull on in those moments too, right? Like when you can like picture his little squishy face Mm -hmm. or his hair and and you can kind of Bring yourself back to that space on hard moments or moments when you're missing him. And I think it touches on another really important myth that in order to have this strong, secure bond with our child, that it means we have to always be with them. Mm. And it's just simply not true. You can have like between 5, 10, 15 minutes, of really attuned time with them in the day. And that creates this really secure and amazing bond. And it's not about being zoomed in on them 24-7, always present with them, always their, you know, one-on-one caregiver. It can look so many different ways than that. It's about that intentional attunement in moments and trickled in throughout their days and week that make all the difference.
1: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's a really important piece of information. I think and I'm glad that you just said that on this episode, because it's so true. And I think that sometimes there are moms and I've caught myself doing this, like how many hours did I spend with my child this day, this week, you know, and making it really like time based. And I just love that, that it's it's about the quality and not necessarily the quantity once you get to a certain age. Because, you know, in the very beginning, quantity is important. You need to constantly be available. But mm-hmm. as they get older, it's can you just make it more intentional and more quality based and, and allow yourself that relief of that guilt, knowing that you're doing what you need to do and you're doing it well?
0: Yeah. So what is next for you? What are you up to? Because you guys have sold that business. You have moved. Your TikTok is like way taking off, like 1.67 million something at this point. So what's on the horizon for you? What are you up to? Well,
1: the baby's entering school, which will be helpful. I'm going to try to compartmentalize my work into those hours as best as I can. That's a good goal that we have as our family. I'm really wanting to win these American Influencer Awards mm-hmm. because I just feel like a therapist winning the Wellness Award says a lot about what's needed in media and what's needed in social media. And I'm hoping to be the conduit of that push forward and that need that we all have. I'm writing a book called Your Unconscious is Showing. And as I'm starting to write it, I'm realizing that it's going to be really helpful for parents, because we'll learn about the mind and how it forms and our own perspectives of how our mind is affecting us and what we think as parents. And it's not a parent directed book, but it will help parents It'll help any human being that reads it. (laughs) And then I'm there. There's so much stuff. I have a podcast and a show. um, And I'm really just working on making content. You know, the purpose of my platforms are to teach people about their mind and body and to destigmatize mental health in all sectors of our existence. And so, my goal, long term goal, is mass media. I hope that in my 40s, I am a producer of the type of mental health shows and content that we truly need to see to reduce the stigma. Because media actually tends to increase the stigma instead of decreasing mm. the stigma. And- So that's my long term goal and how I'm going to get there over the next nine years while I'm in my 30s. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. it's to wait on doing IVF again for a little while, figure out where this career is taking us, this show that I might do. It's like in a different city every season. And so I'm like, what is that going to look like? And is my son going to come with yeah. me? And what do I do? And like, so that's like the next level up of role reversal and like not being that typical mom that, that, that a lot of people expect to see. So it's going to be a lot of <laughs> moving mm-hmm. parts and managing, managing it all, including managing my own mental health trying to figure it all out cuz like I said in the beginning of this episode this was so unexpected and unintentional yeah uh, but it ended up being exactly what what I wanted to do long term in my life so we'll see where it goes
0: <laughs> yeah amazing that you have reached the level of success that you have and it's just the beginning like there's something so profoundly exciting about that right like it's just the beginning for you guys and the work that you're doing matters and the voice that you have for young people, for, you know, for older people makes it so accessible for them to learn about themselves and the skills and, and get the help that they need. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. And, yeah. uh, and I know the work that goes into podcasts and platform and creating content and all of that. So for all of the sacrifices that you do make, thank you for- the way that you're impacting this conversation. So appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank
1: you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me on and I appreciate everything that you're doing and mamas need help. And I'm so happy you have this podcast and your platform and just the helpers are so needed. So thank you so much.
0: I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.
1: Settling is